Hello, and welcome to the Star Trek Review Podcast. Check this out. I'm your host, Bob, and joining me upon the bridge are my co-hosts, Lindsay, Sucky, Andrea, and John. On this episode, we will be reviewing the original series Adventure, uh, Balance of Terror, giving our lights out of five, reading out your feedback to the story, and voting for this week's red shirt. Uh, but before we get into all that, I'm going to find out what everyone thinks with their first vibe and push this big red button so we can get into warp. Balance of Terror. Lindsay, give me your vibe, your first vibes on this on this story. Uh, yeah, so I am surprisingly positive, I think, I would say. Um, I think we'd all acknowledge that I am not the biggest fan of Kirk or the original series, um, or William Shatner for that matter. Um, but yeah, no, I enjoyed this much more than I was expecting to. Why was it? That's all I've got to say to that. <laughs> um, Sucky, give me your vibe. I sat down to watch this today because I've been a bit busy with other things and I, I thought I'll make me notes but after about half an hour I stopped making notes well about 20 minutes actually I stopped making notes because I was, got so engrossed in the, in the episode so I'm going to say it's a very positive from me lovely that's two positives um, weird uh, Andrea <clears throat> usually I have to like defend TOS on my own but um, and before it starts I think it's fair to judge it as a piece of 1960s TV so I'm comparing it against the rest of TOS and I would say it's one of the best episodes of the original series um, I am going to take the piss out of it because I think TOS lends itself to that but um, it's a very very positive review from me Wow John are you going to continue this positivity? Yeah absolutely it was a tense drama it was, had some interesting characters a bit like a war film in a, in a way mm. it was fun and, and as I would, I'd agree with everybody else, it's definitely one of the better season one TOS episodes. Mm. I mean, I definitely agree it's one of the better um, t the original series episodes, but I really struggle with the original series, I think. What did you call this, call? What is the name you put on the title of this Zoom call, Bob? Shite or Balance of Bollocks, I can't remember one yes, of them. Yes, um, you, you <sighs> let us know what you felt. I just struggle with it. <laughs> I do struggle with the original series, um, but I suppose it's like a, a, one of these new Who fans trying to watch the classic series, and they're just going, "Oh, this isn't," you know. I just, I just, I just think it's a bit shit. Um, I, I'm trying to think of any that you I could tell. You could tell that you thought it was really, really rubbish by the time, by the way you introduced us all. It was all in a flat, monotonous voice. And normally, you're quite cheerful. Oh, yeah. welcome to the yeah. show, and all this, and here's. But now he was welcome to us reviewing a shit episode of TOS. <laughs> yeah. Let's yeah. go. What are your first vibes? Um, cool. Well, I'm going to put in a trailer to excite you all. Earth believes the Romulans to be warlike, treacherous, faced with a ruthless enemy. Weakness is something we dare not show. The fate of humanity is in his hands. All of us to full power. Do you want a galactic war on your conscience? A one-hour event. What if I'm wrong? When he attacks, we will destroy him. Relaunching a classic. Phasers, fire! Star Trek, the original, remastered. You're listening to the Star Trek Review Podcast. Check this out. We are reviewing the original series episode, Balance of Terror. And everyone's been fairly positive apart from me. Um, oh yeah, I just, like I say, I struggle with the original series. And it's, I reckon if you took out all the fucking 
12 minute long shots at Shatner's face with nothing happening and loads of weird music going on. It'd be about five minute episode. Um, oh, just fucking hell. And there's just you... a, I just need to get this off my back. This freaked me out from the moment first. Just the purple faced yeoman woman, right? She, she, she's obviously badly lit in that first bit when they get married and they've got weird lights on the faces. Uh, but like, she just suddenly comes up to him so he can grab a woman when they're in peril. I'm like, what the fuck? That's not just 1960s television. That's utter bollocks. Totally is. Well, you mean Yorman Rand, who, like, Yorman. comes up and snuggles into his back in the middle of a crisis? Fucking hell. And that, and I know it's, like, about uh, bigotry and all that as well, but that is... I mean, it's 60s, in it, so it's just horribly clunky. Um, William, like, I think William Shatner is actually a great actor. Rafa Khan, that is brilliant. Fucking just shite. Everyone was shite. Um, I just, oh my god! That is twenty percent of our opinion, right there. The yeah, no, 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 this is this is my opinion. No, no, like I think it's important to allow Bob to to air his frustrations and like to be really frank, several of them I will share. Like that moment with with Rand is nonsense. Like I think pretty much every time she's on screen, it's nonsense because her her she she's like Diana Troy for the TOS era. Like somebody who's there to kind of be like, oh, I'm gonna make puppy dog eyes and make us all like know that somebody knows that. that captain isn't behaving the way that they like maybe should do and there's a bit where he's laid on his bed right it's precisely what she's there for yeah it's like a sex she's laid on his bed and she comes in can they get you anything he looks like and they just have a close on his face and he, you know you could put a caption in there or something quite hilarious andrea can i just say that kirk and Jonas rand i think are my first ever in living memory ship I want to get married and like live happily ever after. So I quite like that because obviously, like, sort of five or six year old me thought they should get married. <laughs> but, but, like, they, they very much play it like she's sort of like the dosing wife. She's like, Can I get you anything? Like, you know, can I like rub your feet for you? Like, it feels very much that she's there in that subservient role. And absolutely, you know, you get bagmen and you get. She she is only in the is she only in series one because like I mean I have gone through all the original uh, well I, 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 yeah, I found it hard work I kind of went it in the background a lot of time the original series and not really watched it but is she is she just in the first series uh, Yeoman Purple first Andrea so my understanding is that Grace Lee Whitney didn't have a particularly pleasant time on oh. set and I think there were some quite well documented um, sort of incidents that occurred um, I, I don't think it was a nice experience for her um, she does come back for some of the films I know she's definitely in motion picture right. I think she might be in Rotha Khan but I, I, I think there were there were some quite unpleasant situations behind the scenes and I don't think it was a I don't think making Star Trek was a particularly pleasant time in her life well not surprised you've got you've got Gene Roddenberry who's renowned uh, for for what he got up to but he's Shatner um, and they're just oh god it's just awful people awful I don't think there were any issues with Shatner. Yes. No, no, Shatner was probably oh, a bit yeah. of a demon on be, set in other ways, but um, I, I don't think he was sort of part of, of what went on. Yeah, be she, I'm just power. reading some of what she's put, uh, something to do with an executive... All right, and that's what happened. Bejean. So it was all incidents within within yeah. executive. Yeah, um, she's in eight of the fifth fifteen episodes. This is episode fifteen as well. So this must have been her final appearance. All oh, right, probably after she got groped randomly for no reason. Um, yeah. So anyway, positives. Let's have some because I don't have any apart from that. I quite I quite like the the Romulan fella, the main Romulan fella. He was good. 
Mark Leonard. Yeah, but apart from that, I don't have any. So, <laughs> Andrea. <laughs> Does Bob recognise the main Romulan fella? Or do we need he, to, like, this out? Was he Spock's dad? <laughs> Yay! Yes. I thought he was. Okay. I'm not going to lie. I did spend most of the episode being slightly confused. I was yeah, like, is Spock's right. dad under cover? Bit. Yeah, like... I was a bit. <laughs> Well, it's okay. You, you remember last uh, when we recorded the last episode when we decided we were going to do this one? Hmm. I, uh, I, when I had a look at Balance of Terror, and as we recorded, it's, uh, there was a picture of Mark Leonard in his pointy ears. And I thought, oh, it's an episode with Sarek. So that's what I did say right. last episode was Spock's father, but then it turns out this was earlier. Yeah. Yeah. It also doesn't help that there was no real characteristic difference. <laughs> Absolutely in, none. In, in, between the Romulans and the. the the Vulcans, whereas in more contemporary Trek, there has been like a, a variation in the, the bowl cut haircuts um, and the eyebrows and things. Like, there's just enough variation there that you can you can helmets. tell. They've got helmets, that, that some of them. <laughs> yeah, but Sarek, not Sarek. I think we should just call him not Sarek. Not Sarek, has, not yeah. Sarek wasn't wearing a helmet, so I was like... That's, I think that could just be down to makeup, a uh, makeup decision. You know, why have six people going into the makeup chair to have all their ears fitted when you can just give four of them a helmet, plunk them on their yeah. head, and that's yes. it, off oh, they go. Absolutely. Yeah, Andrea? Well, I have sort of comment on the Romulan helmets and like questioned whether or not they just run out of glue for the like ears and eyebrows. So it was just <laughs> like, a, I think the costume choices were quite interesting as well. Those pink blankies they were wearing were look very Look comfy, uh, yeah. And I noticed they had little, like, sort of culotte trousers as well, which I thought were quite, like, those woven culottes were an interesting look. <laughs> Must be cold on the Romulan we'll ship. We're going for, like, an Oriental theme, I imagine, in general, with it being the 60s. Um, John, you've been quiet. I'm going to come to you. Uh, there is a plot there behind all the just general shit-shat about it being the 60s and everything's bad about it because of that. And I quite liked it, but it was it felt very much like a wartime submarine thing. And it being done go on, Sucky. No, no, I was agreeing with you. That's what the finger was like. That. <laughs> <laughs> I do apologise to stop you in mid flow there. Sorry, I do apologise. Yeah, that's basically it. It was uh, it was uh you got a submarine feel. There was the set dressing on the Romulan ship was very much submarine like. Mm. Uh, there was pipes and things. And there was this, you know, running silent and all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, I, I thought the concept, the, the clocking device concept lives on. It was such a good idea that it lived on beyond uh, into pretty much all Trek. Yeah. Um, and and I, I love the concept of early days of cloaking meant they can they couldn't really do a lot. Mm. Uh, they could cloak and then that was about it. And then they have to turn it off to fire any weapons and they run out of fuel day quick, so. Yeah. You had a limiting factor which narratively makes it more uh, quite a good little trick that they pulled. It was. Lindsay? Yeah, like I think I totally agree. There is there is a clear like uh, there's a clear echo uh, um of of kind of contemporary Cold War kind of stuff. Um, I do like I do question like the science in this episode is utter nonsense. <clears throat> like, no toilets either, fuck it. Or water. <laughs> <laughs> you can all fuck right <laughs> off. Um, yeah, but like running silent in space seems like a fairly like this. Like I know that they talk about running silent in other episodes, but they don't mean literally whispering and not dropping anything. Because I'm like, the whole point is in space, nobody can hear you scream. Like there is nothing to conduct the sound waves from their ship to the other ship. 
Like, that doesn't work. That doesn't make any sense. Well, I think it's like John was saying, for the plot point of view, it was, you know, going down that submarine route. Andrea? Yeah, I quite like that. It does very much draw on the idea of that brinksmanship, doesn't it? Like, who's going to move first, which does fit into its sort of time in history. Um, I think the idea of the enemy sort of in plain sight, you know, the, the idea of having a spy aboard, it's very much that reds under the bed kind of era. Um so I, I think for the audience watching there, I think it was a little bit of there is social commentary there, which we maybe aren't as aware of at the moment. But I think especially an American audience would have been sort of very conscious about that kind of suspicion of, of sort of Spock. Um, and then obviously they, they bring a Russian character in. So I, I think that as a series, I think it was really mindful of what was happening. Well, it, well, it, well, maybe not around the time, but it was you know, not that far away from when uh, Roosevelt um, put all the Jap, basically everyone that was Japanese, including uh, George Takai, uh, into basically concentration camps in America. Uh, it was quite a fascinating interview with George, George Takai about that. So it probably does reek of that as well. Um, is that yeah. not around the war? Yeah, time? but I mean, like, this is just 20 years after, isn't it? You know what I mean? Oh, it's, right, it's, just 20 it's, years. Yeah. Right. No, but I mean, like, there's a lot of post-World War II writers like Terry Nation in Doctor Who, the Daleks are based on the Nazis and things like that, that this, I could see that, now Andrea said that, that that was probably there with Roosevelt and, and imprisoning Japanese, American-Japanese people. We need to remember that, like, 20 years ago is 9-11. Like, that's not, it doesn't, like, it's still having impacts on, on our yeah. lives and, and the way that the world operates. Um, and I think sometimes it's it's good to remember those things. Mm. Andrea, and in the air. Uh, I quite like that the Romulans aren't sort of cartoony villains because obviously they're they're established. We know we have expectations about Romulans now, but this is like the first time we've ever seen them. Um, they, they're just they, they want to make it home. Um, that you know they've got a commander who, who kind of mirrors Kirk a little bit. He thinks like actually like we're, we're not dissimilar. Um, and again, I think that feeds on that sort of social commentary a little bit but also I think like of its time I think there were probably quite a lot of particularly as aliens like that didn't really have any sort of thought or purpose in that television landscape mm. um, but they were they, they were quite rounded as, as sort of individuals and they had sort of thoughts and feelings that, that made them slightly sympathetic I think which I, I think is, is quite a good thing um, they weren't just naff sort of pantomime characters sort of hissing from from the sidelines. They were quite developed. Yeah, true. Crazy. Yeah, no, and I think like like what Bob was saying earlier about the fact that there are like I have written down that this episode is all about the reaction shots. There is a lot of reaction shots. It, the pacing of it at various points, like it felt very slow but in that way of war films where you're like particularly when somebody's like you know like on a submarine or somewhere and they give it space to allow you to feel that almost the anticipation and the claustrophobia mm. um, or the kind of the just level of kind of tension because it does it feels kind of weird and uncomfortable um, and there is like there is a trend all the way through this episode and this may be a TOS thing in general but they've like lit Shatner so like he's got like like a strip of light across his yeah. eyes almost it's... constantly it's a really odd choice because like it's supposed to be right at the start so we get this 
wedding or near wedding and as soon as the wedding doesn't happen i'm like well one or both of them is dead <laughs> like like that's the only reason you don't actually marry the couple but it made me think about like because we do get to see other weddings in various other things and there's something kind of lovely about this now this one i'm like they've literally just like put some feathers in her hair she's like she's not got like a nice dress she's not, like there's not like You've got Rand in the background very badly pretending to light some candles. And that's like the level of the celebration. But yeah, Scott, go ahead, Dundra. Scotty gives it. I was just, uh, I did sort of, you know, it starts off with these two yellow shirts getting married. Um, one, I've put, why are they getting married in uniform? Why has the bride got a dead goose in her hair? Why is that allowed, but other wooden clothes are not? Um, it seems like quite an odd choice. Um, and I did kind of wonder, is it just because it's the opening shot and it's the first season of this television show and if they're not in Star Trek uniforms, will people not know what they're watching? Is it literally just to establish you are watching Star Trek? Um, it, it, but really, you know at least one or both of them are doomed when you see that like opening little wedding, don't you? You know at least one of them is going to die. But I think what's extra weird is you know that like, TOS has that like, woo, like music when like a girl's on screen why does that music come on when Kirk goes to kind of comfort the widow it's like that this really isn't the moment for him to kind of slide in there and like offer like a shoulder of comfort and that's, and a bit and that's how he played it <clears throat> that's how it came across to me and mm. yeah and so, it, I, so there were oh sorry go ahead no no I just 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 like I really like William Shatner in the films you know I think in, like I say in Rafa in uh, Rafa Khan uh, and well, apart from the first movie, which is just basically the original series kind of thing, is he's a great actor. They're all you're all pretty good, um, but I don't know whose sort of directorial choice it was or whatever to do these. Just like, just I don't know. It was, was it a thing TV the, in the it TV, was TV in the sixties? Yeah. They still, still had hang-ups from the silent era of films that they were... I suppose, That's what yeah. was the light around the eye, all that sort of lighting. Right, okay. Is the hero and the, you know, and yeah. the girl gets a little bit of soft lighting. Yeah. It's standard, yeah. standard um, TV romance stuff from that the early TV years. drama in the 60s. That's how they yeah, used to they're do all it. like that. Especially, would you say more American than... The British ones. Well, the you... British ones were basically still filming tin cans and <laughs> really bad quality. This is like yeah, high yeah. end quality at the time. I stuff. Yeah, no, no, fair enough. Andrea? I think those musical cues are really like compared to modern television, they're really like thick, aren't they? And they have that, ooh, like, well, the girl on screen and they're like, some action's happening. And, and it is really simplistic compared to like the way you would look at kind of scoring like a film or a TV show now. Um, it, they were really kind of hammering it home to the audience, like, look, there's a pretty girl, look, there's some action happening, look, something dramatic. If you've only got a choice yeah. of six sound cues, like, yeah. it will inevitably be like, oh, there's a tender moment, so we're going to play the romantic slash girl on screen cue. Like, you but, probably don't have a huge choice about it. I mean, Andrew is absolutely right. It's simplistic filmmaking, TV making, uh, but it is what it is. It's from 1960s, literally 50-odd years ago. Mm. Yeah, and I think... So there are a couple of scenes in this that I was like... So I was sitting there going, I think this is going to be like really, I'm going to give this a really high mark. Like, I'm going to give this a really high mark. Like, this is quite good. And then there were a couple of scenes where I was like, oh. Um, and it wasn't so much like I, I was able to like the scene with uh, the scene with Rand clinging onto his back in the moment of near destruction. Um, 
I could kind of almost write off. But like, there's the whole big thing where he has this crisis of confidence. Like, I get that that is part of the narrative flow of these things. It's like, you know, the captain's got to have a moment where he's like, am I doing the right thing? Why am I doing this? Do I risk everything? But I just like, I, I didn't think that that was particularly successful. Um, and when Bones comes in and I was like, oh, I just don't think that's one of your better interventions or analogies and I was like I don't get about like what is the system called Kirk Suki <laughs> yeah I'm exactly the same there I mean I, that whole scene first of all Rand coming in and she's just standing there <clears throat> and I don't know if she wants to just comfort him or he wants to comfort her and then Bounce stands up and then gives that little speech <coughs> about there only being one Kirk or not destroying the Kirk. And I just didn't get that scene at all. I it thought just it was great. Straight up. In what way do you think it was great? Because I, was- I thought I thought Bones' um, little monologue thing about don't get yourself killed, basically, was quite nicely done. It was kind of poetically done in the, like, there are three million blah, 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 there are three billion galaxies. Just, you know, they're not oh, right. That- the numbers aren't right, but hey. It's not <laughs> Don't you think he was just being selfish? He just didn't want to die himself. Who bones? Yeah, uh, I don't know. If you think in the context of what his character is like in all the rest of TOS, no, I don't think that he doesn't. Well, he's, he's, he doesn't like. Um, he's not conflict. a conflict. Yeah, conflict or that's it. That's his. That's his part of the triumphant, isn't it? You know, that's his role. Yeah, he will be the, think... the last to leap and try and be. You know, the rationale where box the logic and Kirk's the uh, the fella. Part. <laughs> I do I do think that Spock yeah. is really interesting in this episode um, for a variety of reasons. One, at least once Leonard Nimoy raises both eyebrows but kind of tilts his head so it looks like he's only raising one. I was like, I see what you're doing there. Um, but yeah, no, I think he's really interesting and I think his reaction to this other race is really interesting and you know, even when it comes to his, his, you know, he he absolutely goes well. Well, it would seem very clear that there is a link between my Vulcan ancestry and these people, because mm. you know, <laughs> we all look very similar. Um, but he also goes well. If that's the case, then we need to be aware of X and Y because. And I think we need to remember that this is so early on in Star Trek lore that some of this, like I, I don't know whether they've already spoken about, like you know, the violent nature of a Vulcan. When they're not well, in complete it, emotional control, I don't. In, in but, to the Vulcan, these are I, huge ideas that no, are really I think, important. I, th- I think wasn't the, um, the 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 actual pilot, the original pilot. Um, it was about the Vulcans being the aggressive species, wasn't it? The one that, I, well, it is before the menagerie. There, there was a pilot initially, um, and it was about like the Spock was well violent and acty and all that kind of stuff. No, uh, is that the one where he, he went through Pomfort? It's like before the pilot pilot before the it's like it's one they tried out but they, they didn't feel comfortable with it and sacked the whole cast and I think only um Nimoy, uh, Nimoy remained and it's on it's on my box set of um of Blu-rays. That's that's a menagerie, isn't it? Well, no, yeah. this, 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 I no, thought the, the menagerie was the first one. Yeah, the, the menagerie is the f- the first one, but they did a pilot which is on my Blu-ray set. Before and is that the pilot with a different captain? No, yeah, Kirk? different captain. That's different. a menagerie. Yeah, that's a menagerie. No, no, that's no. Christopher Pike. I'm going to do my research while you do it. It's on my Blu-ray. It's on my Blu-ray. Um, you oh. carry on. Uh, someone got something to say. 
I'd just like to talk about Mark Leonard, the way he performed his uh, part, because he's basically he's away from uh, the Star Trek, the crew itself, and he's with his own Romulan, and he's there trying to, he's acting all Kirk like him, right, with the way he performed, and then you got all his uh, Centurion, his second in command, who would back him up to the hill, and then you got a, th- a person that's like um, questioning all his decisions. This was like Styles on uh, the Enterprise uh, cruise ship. Right, so we've got all that being mirrored where over, over the course of the episode, and you can see how Le- uh, Mark Lennon's character—I don't know what his name was—I keep calling him Sarek, but I, I think let's call it just call him not Sarek. Not just Sarek. the commander, the commander, isn't he? The commander, right? So the commander, the way he he was doing all these things, which was exactly the same as way Kirk was doing all his stuff, right? Trying to outmaneuver each other, and I thought this is very, very good television, and. I just thought I really did enjoy it. Go on, John. I think it's interesting how uh, we don't have a version of the Doctor on the Romulan ship, so the do- that part, that moment of doubt about having war and they should not try and do this, is taken over by the Commander, and he's, he has, he's the one that has the doubts about what's the point of all the war and all that sort of stuff. Wouldn't the Centurion have been that uh, a sort of amalgamation of both Spock and Bones, the way he was spe- speaking to uh, the commander well, in the earlier epi- uh, earlier in the episode? It was like uh, I thought it was like a sort of co- a combination of the two Star Trek crew members together trying to uh, uh, help help his commander. Either way, I think that the the Romulan commander is uh, as a character is. I look, he was an equal to Kirk. In, yes. He was counted as an equal to Kirk in this. And you saw the Yin and the Yang, what they were doing, and you saw the similarities. But I think as terms of body, uh, in terms of a baddie for the episode, this is as fleshed out as you're going to get in this entire series for a, for a baddie with actual depth of like character building during there. You've got... You, you, there's like... The way he responds and the doubts that he has and all that expression, there's a lot of information there that backed into a 45 minute episode it was really well done and i think like for me that's the key thing here i think i think one of the reasons i love it is that like this is almost like an episode where they've gone it's it's kind of i'm going to compare it to the inner light just because that's like the the best episode i can think of where they almost take the standard format and and put it to one side and do something that is quite different and they give it time to just kind of be and like it felt very much like that because None of this felt like a normal episode because they were. We we spent a lot of time on the Romulan <laughs> ship. We saw that. We saw those conversations and we saw that echoing. And um, again, I'm just going to call out like the ridiculousness of thinking like, oh, we're going to pretend that we're just their reflection. Reflected off what? Doesn't it work like that in space? But whatever. Um, like there. But yeah, no. I thought I thought it was really nicely done. And that moment when. Um, yeah, it's yes. the menagerie, Bob. It's the cage. Oh, sorry, the cage. Yeah, but that is the menagerie. But Spock, menagerie, Spock, Spock, play the cage. Spock plays it all like happy and weird and proper acting, doesn't he? And then they change it. Yeah, he's not angry though. Yeah, but that, but that's not really part of the lore of Vulcan emotion, though, is it? No, but he plays it weird. I'm pointing at him. Yeah, but we were talking about whether this was the first time we had perhaps delved oh, into the nature of uh, Vulcan emotion when they're not suppressing their emotions. I just thought um, it was weird. Well, yes, it is weird. Anytime you see Leonard Nimoy smiling in his spot get up, it looks odd because, you know, reasons. Um, 
What were we talking about? Face, breathing, generally good. Um, can we also talk about like the dust and debris falling down in the Romulan ship? I thought that was really funny. I was like, where is all this shit? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Andrea? I- I've got to say, I have written, why the fuck is there rubble on a spaceship? Is aggregate needed for a cloaking device? Like... <laughs> Well, you don't well, know. <laughs> was was this was the actual ship made of stone or something? Because it, it, it just rubble is stone, is it not? It's... I think it was just the bits of polystyrene they had lying around, but it, it was it wasn't great. Andrea, I think the other thing, obviously, you've got the thing of like having like a bit of a live camera feed to like the guy on the space station and the Romulan ship. But I thought it was like, it seemed particularly cruel that they kind of switched back to the footage of that like guy who was like, like getting blown up on that space station just so the crew could see him die. Like there was no other reason to show that footage. It was just like, yeah, I'll just flick back to him and watch him get blown up now. It was like, why have they gone back to that feed? Like it seemed like a, it's literally just for the audience, isn't it? But it does look kind of odd now. It's like, oh, so here, little death scene. <laughs> the, so the other thing that felt really odd to me, and again, like I, I haven't played it through all of the original <coughs> series, and again, I, 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 because I don't enjoy them, I find it quite hard to construct them sometimes. But like, it felt very unusual to me that we got time with like random members of the crew doing other stuff. Um, now, again, clearly, as soon as you get that scene where both the bride and groom are like working in the same area, you're sitting there going, oh, they're giving us more tenderness because one of them's going to die. Um, but like spending that time and giving us like a B plot about one of who's not like one of the holy triads, like I think like that all felt quite unusual and, and kind of just a bit different, which is nice. Like different. Andrea. I think it went to that kind of phase of control room as well. And I don't think we ever see that again. I think that's like a one-off where you see like people actually having to like do something to make the weapons work. They don't just press a button and it just does it. Like, boom, boom. Like yeah. someone actually has to do some kind of a, a job, a bit like loading a cannon. Um, and I, I genuinely don't, other than like when they, 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 there's some torpedo bits, I think, in the movies. But like... Other than that, they just kind of skirt over the fact that like somebody maybe has to operate these things somewhere else, and I, d- I don't think they ever revisit that. But I, th- I, th- I think Roth of Khan is very much down to this episode. If, if this episode hadn't have been, I don't think the Roth of Khan would have been such a the way it was done. This they, they, they tapped into the idea of that not knowing where the opposition is and the cat and mouse thing and. Uh, yeah, I think that is one of the reasons why I think this is a good, well-written episode. Quick fire, come on, uh, Suki. Um, I want uh, it must be. Sh- oh, I don't know what I was going to say. Uh, oh yeah, the I do like the fact that they're trying to show a diverse crew on the the, the Enterprise again by having a Chinese girl, a black girl. There was, a, I think, another ethnic minority in the background as well at the wedding. And that this is all going into Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future where nobody, everybody's all together. Um, yeah, and the I, women are there to look pretty. Well, yeah, I do actually. I've never noticed this before, and I don't know why I've noticed it now, but... Uhura's costume. Sarah I always pants. thought it was a proper. Pardon, yes. Sarah I pants. always thought it was a proper, like mini skirt, like costume, like thing. But there wasn't when she got off the the chair, uh, communications chair to sit in the navigation chair. 
Right, you actually see you get up and so there's a split at the back. Oh, yeah, it was, it was just basically I've a never top, thought of, basically top yeah. and she's wearing pants. Yeah. Right, and uh, I did like the fact that Uhura is that talented that she can do also do the navigation as well. She can. Right, and I was impressed. Um, I she liked, could do the uh, driving. Miss- Amazing. Yes, I like Mr. Styles, uh, the character, because he, he, you needed that sort of character to sort of bring out even more conflict on the Enterprise to be able to have that conflict with Spock, uh, uh, Kirk being able to admonish him for uh, having his sort of views, uh, which were like uh, against what he was thinking. But he's still I'm, Kirk was still listening to him. Go on, John. I'm still I'm still convinced that this is exactly the same plot as a submarine film that I've watched round you know wartime <laughs> submarine film so yeah there's with the idea of having uh, uh somebody on board that makes an accidental sound that does it and you know style the the belligerent one who basically uh, a lot of times should have kept his fucking mouth shut because it's not his job there's, there's a scene where he um where he says something derogatory to uh to spock and spock just turns around and fucks off but <laughs> there's a scene also where spock just walks up to styles leans over his shoulder while he's on the console, Styles looks at me, and then Spock just walks away. What was that sort of scene? He Go knows, on, he knows, he knows. That's why uh, he's letting Andrea. him know. I was just going to say, I have sort of made note of the fact that Styles is Mr. Science Officer. It wasn't quite the insult he thought it was. Um, but he's quite, he's there to kind of drop that, like, sort of plot idea, like, we don't know what they look like. They could be spies on the ship. And then, lo and behold, five minutes later, it's like, oh, they look like you. You might be the spy. Um, but he is a bit of that. He, there is the, those guys, aren't they? Like, oh, like, my granddad fought in the war. Like, and he is, he is one of those types. And those types of people do exist. Um, yeah, they all voice Brexit. My granddad didn't fight in the war for this. And, and he was, a, a, he was very much kind of, like, playing on those past glories Lindsay uh, but, and again it's it's, it's Spock and uh, Styles again at the end when Styles is like oh I've had my moment of enlightenment because he saved me and he didn't have to save me and Spock's like dude we need a navigation officer it's fine um, and like it's one of those like he does he plays it with like you know it's like uh, he's like I in this like and maybe it's because I've watched Tuvok for so long and, and Tim Russ imbues Tuvok in everything where he says he's being unemotional there is clearly intent and emotion in there they're just like deeply suppressed and turned into logic and so with that i was just like oh oh burn burn it feels like a burn hey go ahead Siki. i was gonna say the, the styles character again when he's having a conflict with kirk uh Sulu uh, actually agrees with him, right? So you got the you got the idea. Styles has actually got like-minded people on board the ship, right? So it isn't a case of everybody's all thinking in the one direction. There is various and, viewpoints and Spock, on the ship, and Spock also agrees with him about attacking. But what I will say about the guy that not necessarily the character of Styles, but the guy that plays Styles, I think he would have been a very good Captain Kirk. In fact, all the way through this episode, I was thinking, yeah, you're playing a bigot and blah, blah, but you you would make a great Captain Kirk. That's how bad I thought William Shatner was in this. Um, <laughs> carry on, Sucky. Uh, I like... I didn't notice it before, but if you notice the bird of prey that's flying away, there's actually a design of a bird of prey. I had never noticed that before. That's cool. Right, so that was a, a bit strange seeing that. Um, and I think that is... Oh, Mark Leonard. Because uh, I didn't know he played a Romulan. I knew he played a Vulcan and a Klingon because we'd done their movies. Mm. All right, uh, but he played... This is the first time... Was, he's the first actor who played a Romulan, Vulcan and a Klingon. 
Vulcan and a what, Sucky? He's played a Romulan Vulcan and a Klingon. Oh, a Klingon. Yeah. <laughs> That's the end of my notes. Thanks, Sucky. What's the matter, John? What's the matter, John? Uh, <laughs> Lindsay, let's get your tank empty. Um... So yeah, I uh, he Kirk puts um, all decks condition red when he's had to go across to the thing because everything is already condition red. Uh, that made no sense to me. Um, I've written styles equals red shirt, which turns out to be actually not true. Um, Spock does an excellent recap slash uh, audience update on like the history of the Romulan War or the pre-Romulan War, whatever it's called, um, which was interesting. Um, I think there is an inconsistency as to the guy on Starbase, whatever it is, whether his name is Hansen or Hudson. Um, I feel like two different people call them two different things, which is interesting. Um, the actual attack, like the energy pulse or whatever it is, looks really odd. Like the red, red ball of stuff coming straight down the lens feels very strange, um, but that's just kind of what it is. Um, all about the reaction shots. No room for bigotry. Like I do think that this is like this is an important part of, you know, setting out Star Trek stall about what it is and what it stands for and why IDIC are really important and why I struggle with people who are bigoted and racist and misogynist and consider themselves Star Trek fans. Um, but moving swiftly on, um, <laughs> like Jane Roddenberry. Yeah, but you can In like real life. He was at least arguably not one of those things. Uh, Andrea? I just, I think that comment, is, especially in that sort of landscape and, and of its time, you, you put it in that kind of context. Anyone who says Star Trek has become political is full of shit. Like, that is like, in the 1960s, that is a progressive political statement, and anyone who says otherwise is a, like an idiot. Um, race was a massively contentious issue, um, and that's not to say it still isn't, but you, you've got that backdrop of what was happening in the 60s, and you've got comments like that, and just the visual of having a black woman fly the ship Um were controversial uh, and I think anyone who, who's still clinging on to this like oh but it's become it's too political and I don't want it to be political it's like have you ever fucking watched the show like it really highlights that like it has always been this way and anybody who says that oh yeah but it was it was never like it was never you know voiced it was always like an under like it was never like a thing we didn't get like episodes about it has clearly never watched this episode because this episode is deeply political even if it is not about um, I don't think I don't think those people are watching it because they watch it as children. Children don't pick up on a lot of that shit. They genuinely don't. And I think that's the memories they have of it. And so when people like us analyze it and into the nth degree and start pointing out all the bigotry and all the stupid stuff, and then we talk about the fandom. The fandom is what it is because they watched it as kids a lot of the time. That's why those people are like that. Do you know what, John? Yes, actually. Yes. Because they don't, I mean, many times, many people have, have watched things like, I watched Lord of the Rings or whatever when I was eight, and I never eight. knew, well, you know, they're young Very people. young people, yeah. But yeah, they watch things as children, and you watch it with, without all that stuff, you just see the, the simple, simple mm. stuff in it, and you enjoy it for that. You enjoyed Doctor Who when you were a kid, uh, not for any of the, of the, like, 
the times when they political statement. No, the times when no, the times when they do that because you you skip over that. You don't care about that. No, you just love the monsters and the fun and the space and the the ride. Yeah. So if you if you look at it through that context, you can understand why these people think that. But that implies they've never gone back and watched it again. Because I think for me, it the implies, challenge is... It implies that their first impressions are what counts in this situation. Yeah, and I, I, like, I don't disagree with that. But I, like, I do think that we owe it to each other to be able to go back and look at these things with vaguely fresh eyes. And yes, not everybody is going to analyse the stuff the way to. that They don't, they don't have do. to. They don't have any need uh, to. No, but if you are going to make a statement about what Star Trek is that is based on something that is clearly untrue. I think, Every, I think that, that's opinion, a challenge. Everybody's opinion on what Star Trek is is subjective and somebody else will disagree with it. The nature of fandom. Like Mark Are you trying just, to suggest oh, we don't all agree I'm, all the time, John? I, I am trying to say that, and I'm trying to say that a lot of division <laughs> that we see in Star Trek isn't division. It's just people with their own subjective opinions. Everybody still loves yeah, Star Trek for and, their own reasons. And we're, not, and we're not right, we're not wrong. And, you know, for me, Star Trek... It's best sometimes is is not actually the, the character piece, it, you know. It isn't show, showing a, a futuristic world where there is peace and loveliness, and all that. I like, I like a good fucking space battle. Me, you know what I mean? Like, and that's what I like in Star Trek. Just for example, did you did you nearly go Geordie then? I did actually. Yeah, I just love yeah. speaking a bit Geordie. Sorry, Andrew. You, yeah. de you definitely went a bit Geordie, um, but for me, like I suppose the the value in it is that we disagree. We sometimes disagree quite extremely about what it is we enjoy. What we're looking for, you know, whether it's water and toilets or whether it's, you know, space <laughs> yeah. battles. And if somebody doesn't agree but, with that opinion, with what you feel like, it's they're still Star Trek fans, you can't say they're not. Yeah. You can't oh, say we, we just, they can't, I'm not allowed to be, because they no, are. Well, they, they are, but I think we, we you sometimes have to call people out and one of the things I really value about this space is the fact that, you know, Bob, you That's and I cool. met because I called you out yeah. on Twitter because right I fundamentally so. disagreed with some things that you were saying. Yep. Um, and But rather than just become defensive about it, you then went and invited me into mm -hmm. to the room um, and we now have a broader conversation and I really value that. And I then realised sometimes, you know, sometimes, you know, I get myself, I let myself get away with myself and I need people in my life like you, like John um, and, you know, like all of you that fucking just say, hang on a minute, Bob, whoa, 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 you know, I bring you back in and engage, so I can, can engage in a conversation, not just my own little world. I mean, I've heard, I've heard previous podcasts we've done, Bob, it's not always the case, is it? <laughs> it's not always the case. No, not, no, not, always. not always the case. But that's what <laughs> I'd like to be. No, and it is, it, it, we ended up doing the podcast together from it, so, you know, it's fabulous, really. Um, cool. Andrew, you were trying to say something ages ago. I was just, I'm just slightly like disturbed by the fact that the word battle makes like Bob want to sound like a Geordie. Is battle. there some <laughs> between fighting and Newcastle? Or... Yeah, I don't know, yeah, I don't know why it just automates. I mean, there is a question. There is a question asked during this episode as to fight or not to fight. I imagine if it was set in Newcastle, it'd be to fight. <laughs> Fucking no way then. Um, <laughs> it's the aggressive <laughs> drunk people that come to his gigs and he wants to make them do battles. <laughs> Um, Lindsay, let's empty that tank. Um, uh, oh, where are we? Uh, Rand, yeah, Rand hiding behind Kirk, which I think we described as, as snuggling later. Um, there's a bit where they're like, oh yeah, but if we go in, then like they'll just say that they hadn't, like they hadn't done anything. I was like, but surely there's some record of the fact that the Romulans have destroyed like four of your star bases, <laughs> like. Um, but again, it was all clearly about getting this particular plot to work. 
Um, I have written Styles and Tom uh, Tomlinson are going to die again. I was only half right. Um, I've also oh, written. Wrong in that case. Uh, indeed. Um, that was a pretty good look at um, Michelle Nichols' red pants because I had also spotted oh, this fact. Oh yeah. Um, so not Sarek's rage cry is great. <laughs> now I have, I have critiqued Kirk's rage cry in Khan, or like his Khan cry, God. which I hate and I think is awful and makes no sense. But this rage cry, I totally got like he's been flung to the floor and like his crew are pretty much mostly dead and his warbird is like falling apart at the seams and he's like, ah! and I totally got that. It's okay. Oh, just going back to Sarah can be recognised, not Sarah being recognised by Spock. What do you do? You think he recognised him as his father, and that's when he said it's all to do with my Vulcan history. A bit later on in the episode, uh, uh, you know, just trying to tie it all in. Well, I think he probably looked at him and went, "Oh, we look really similar." So therefore, there's like, and and to be fair, I suspect later there is a bit of kind of mythology around the, like the Vulcans have like this mythology about this other race that kind of split off to go their own way. Uh, Andrea, I just think they were like, we need an actor to play Spock's dad. Get him back. He was really good in that other episode. Um, much like um, Karen Gillan and Peter Capaldi, and I think Colin Baker was a callback. Yeah, yeah. Just like get that get that guest back, actor back in. He's all right if he turns oh. up. He's no um, so I, I, I don't think there was probably any deep thought at the time. I, I'm sure they've merely tried to come up with something to, to kind of canonise that a little bit. On, on first, on first, but, on first watch though, because I did genuinely think it was Spock's dad gone rogue. Um, the, the, obviously, you know, Spock's reactions as a character are fairly, fairly limited, aren't they? It's usually an eyebrow raise, and that's about all he gives away. That when he came on screen, I was like, "Oh fuck! Wow! It's Spock's dad gone rogue!" And and then obviously it transpires it's not. He's he's, he's an actor and he's playing a Romulan commander. Um, so I think that maybe. I mean, there's there's some guy. I mean, look at there's um what's the guy who plays in DS9? He's something and he's Jeffrey. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Coombs. Coombs. Yeah, Jeffrey Coombs. He plays fucking loads of characters. In but I mean, I think it's like he—he's—he looks like Sarah. It's because he's, you know, Romulans look like Vulcans in this episode. I think that's the thing that I think that threw me the most. Um, and then I had to get my head around it that obviously it wasn't, um, which made me threw me a bit, Andrea. I was just going to say, I'm pretty sure that Jeffrey Coombs plays two characters in the same episode of DS9. I'm sure there's an episode where he, he, he plays two characters. I, I think Brunt turns up and I think Weirun's in it as well. And I'm pretty sure he wanted to do a scene with both of them. Like, but they said, no, it's too expensive, Jeffrey, if, doing it. And there's no reason in the plot for you both to be in a scene. If there's, uh, if there's one actor that can do it, Jeffrey Coombs is the man. Yeah. Jeffrey Kim's is very good. He's also usually under quite a lot of prosthetics, which makes it slightly less confusing for us yeah. as viewers. I think it was just because he looked like a Vulcan, that was all. Uh, Lindsay? Oh, it's all right. It, you could, the Tom Paris, um, oh, 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 Nick Locarno uh, issue is is the classic example thereof. Um, Why do you anyway, sorry. got to get one in? Oh, of course you do. Yeah. Of course you do. Robert Duncan McNeil was in an episode of TNG playing a character who's basically Tom Paris with a different name. Um, it's very <laughs> confusing. Was, yeah. Um, so yeah, I missed one out. Oh, there's an old school fire suppression moment. Like uh, Spock is literally putting out a fire by blowing on it and patting it with his hands. I thought that was that was quite effective. Um, the you and I are of a kind, but like I absolutely get that we have seen this echoed all the way through. Um, 
and it's quite hard to get a sense for how of, of how long this is going on for at one point I think they say it's been 10 hours or whatever um, but you know when um, not Sarek is like oh you and I like we, we're clearly like oh, they've, they clearly feel like they've bonded with each other and I wasn't entirely convinced that they'd earned that but it is a short episode and I think we have to give them it mm. and the, the sleazy hugging at the end makes me kind of weird like I, yeah I don't love it like this random crewman but, like getting a hug she, from didn't, didn't she hug him yeah but the, but even that as an act it's, sorry it's not that I think it's predatory it's just that I think it's, it's weird and unnatural I think that's just Shatner or Shatner's portrayal of, of, of Kirk with, with with women I think that's he goes into he must go into this like 60s um, hero kind of role uh, well he does and you know that's you know, it's it, it was the, more the about the women the women throw themselves at him like that is a thing in the same way that Rand comes up behind him and yeah. is almost like see, like see I see that as more of like he is on the ship he, he tries to be and is seen as, as his crew as a father figure and she went for consolation as she just lost her yeah. husband to be. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I, I can't see that happening on a military or exploratory. No, no, you can't. But you well, can see that in the sixties. In the sixties in in environment, yeah. you can come, you can understand why that might be a thing that people did round then. Yeah. So, and again, it's interesting because, like, because obviously Voyager is my natural kind of gravitation place. Like, I sat there and went, "Can I think of an example whereby some random crew person?" kind of threw themselves at Janeway and like would I think that was weird and the answer is I probably wouldn't think it was weird because she is quite touchy-feely with her crew but I can't Jota. think of what for Jota Chakotay Chakotay sorry he's going to whittle her a bathtub so like you know or a boat he's already done the bathtub um, yeah like yeah it, it's just a bit weird like it's not the end of the world but it definitely uh, it felt bad yeah fair enough uh, how, how empty is that tank, Lindsay? That's it. That is it done. Lovely. It is empty. Empty. John, let's come to you for your final comments on noties. Yeah, not not that, not as many. Um, <laughs> I love when when he says this is the captain speaking. Everybody just stops moving in the corridor. Like, no, you can walk and talk. Yeah, yeah. Walk and listen. <laughs> no, no because they have to go and look at the screen. No, like... they have, what they have to do is say, uh, uh, "This is the captain speaking." They all go. And look around like they're looking for him. It's like what the fuck? Yeah, um, yeah. The Hanson Hanson death seemed to be unnecessarily visual. I don't know why that was even there. Uh, this this rodinum rodinum metal that is apparently the hardest material known to science. Every sci-fi I've watched in fucking ages. <laughs> Always has their own bloody metal. I must admit, John, there's been a lot of metal in Doctor Who and yeah. Star Trek we've watched recently. recently a lot of yeah. metal, yeah. And not yeah. enough wood. <laughs> Just all metal, Lindsay. You don't have wood in um, space. The effect of the comets, I thought, was quite decent for the 60s. Uh, I can imagine it was looked and viewed at the time as being quite impressive. Um, what was it? Spock's fuck-up I've written. Um, yeah... Well, the thing is, I was a little bit surprised about you know the the lady who was getting married. She didn't and seem that bothered. cut up that her husband was dead. She didn't seem that bothered. No, she went to bank shot now, right away apparently. I think she uh, maybe, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. I'll do it. Lovely. 
Thanks, John. Uh, so, kids, Alexander, go on. I just got some. I was wondering. This is for John and Bob. Did you all have a D and D vibe when uh, one of the characters says, uh, "We've got to do a sneak attack"? Yes, I did, John. <laughs> I was, just, and, well, and funny enough, funny just... enough, I did. I did actually watch this twice. Um, but my second watch, I was. I've just got the Dungeon Master's Guide for my birthday off my mum. So I was half reading that. So, I, But I did pick up a sneak attack. So okay, I did, yeah. Lovely. I'd, uh, like to, I'd like to see the Enterprise do 2d6 damage. <laughs> <laughs> Some DD humor, everyone, uh, to really oh. nerd it up. Um, Andrea. Um, I've got. Um, there was a shout out for Romulus and Remus, who like rarely gets a shout out as the, um, the clearly the ugly twin that no one cared about. Um, I quite like the space PowerPoint. It felt like more than brief in that work with a little diagram um, with uh, all the space stations. Yeah, it was like it was like. I particularly the, enjoyed the "You Are Here" flashing light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it did kind of feel like a really naff morning briefing in a school. Um, Spock doesn't know what Romulans look like, which kind of is, is interesting as kind of canon develops, I think. Um, the fact that they, it's been a really long time and they've forgotten, but clearly somebody knows. Um, and clearly some Vulcans must know. Like, I mean, it's um, interesting how that little, that little line about we don't know anything about them, it's just like, it's it's... It's so many episodes in Future Trek. Mm. Discovery, Picard, all of it. Yeah, Picard. Kind yeah. of like sprouted from this episode. The Romulan is... Sorry, Sucky, go on. I was just going to say, if they have had that conflict 100 years ago, surely there would have been bodies in space that one or the other would have picked up and they would have realised. Space is very fucking big, Sucky. Big, big yeah, but space. if they're quite close together, blasted each other, all they need is... The idea the of close together isn't as close as you think. They're not, like, sort of next door. I think that, the thing okay. is as well, I do... I, I remember this episode from my from from my first watch of the original series, my first binge watch, and I do really like the Romulans. Um, even in this, I suppose I like I like um, the chap that well that that's not not Sarek or not Spock's dad, um, and I do love the Romulans as they go because there's a lot of depth and darkness to them. Like they're sort of basically bad Vulcans, um, and I, I sort of quite like that. Um, it's okay. Just say which which uh, which Romulan are you talking about? The one that uh, questioning all the orders of or the older one, the the, the Spock's dad one. Oh, not right. Sarek. Sarek. I not thought Sarek. you meant we were talking about one of the other two. No, no, no. <laughs> they were just generic, uh, sort of generic um, Romulans, weren't they? Really, um, Andrea. I think they really kind of go out with that, like, kind of Roman metaphor, don't they? They have a centurion yeah. and, and you almost give them quite toga-like uniforms and things. It's really like, look, they're like the Romans, they're like the Romans, they're like the Romans. Um, but I, th- I, th- I think some of those things that have kind of endured and it does really set us up for, you know, some of the, like, key kind of bad guys that runs all the way through Star Trek. So, you know, there's a few little things there that kind of have maybe softened, I think, in the analogy, but it's quite heavy in this one. Yeah. I liked that they had a book with table of comments, a comments, uh, I can't even words, or comments written on, the, you know, it's just happened to be on the desk, like oh, yeah, the yeah. catalogue, and supposed to say, no, no, I don't need to look in the book, I know the answer. Um, but I, I just think that kind of idea that, 
they're still going to look these things up in a book in the future. It's just quite quite sort of twee these days, isn't it? Um, but it did seem really convenient, and it had a table of comets written in massive letters because they must need to look in that book really frequently. Um, <laughs> and that sort of there was that whole kind of like like that ready room scene. I, I think that's become a Star Trek staple, hasn't it? They all kind of sit around the table and talk about what they're going to do. Um, so I, I think that's very much become sort of part of almost like a trope, isn't it? The captains are all going in and we'll sit around the conference table and we'll, we'll make a plan up um, but I, I did think that book was was quite fortunately placed um, I think that's oh, um, I quite like the, the fact that Spock kind of went to fix like what was under that grate um, and it was nine hours later and he was still lying on the floor fishing around in it and it's like why has he been lying on the floor for nine hours I know they're trying to be quiet but I'm pretty sure he could have stood up in that period of time um, so I think that was almost like nothing has happened since the camera was last on these people uh, which I, I thought was a bit of an odd choice and now toilet break <laughs> No, no. What I was going to say is the fact that he's fixing the phaser banks from the bridge, though, which I think is quite impressive. Well, clearly, he just needed to like get a bit of like electrical tape around a couple of them wires, and that was all good. Um, but it, it did take him nine hours of lying on the floor, like messing about in that little mesh place. So um, that was a long job. But he did jump up quite well, considering. So, you know, his back must be in good shape. Um, I think that's me about out. I think I've, uh, I think I've covered most of my nonsense. Lovely. Thank you very much, Andrea. Thank you very much, everyone. I've got not a lot to add. Uh, so let's put some lights on this. How many lights you see? There are four lights! I asked how many lights you see. Lights out of five. Give me your lights and how many lights do you see? Suki, how many lights do you see? I really did enjoy this episode. As I says, I stopped making notes after a bit because uh, I was that engrossed in it. So I am going to give this a five out of five because it was a really solid episode, enjoyable, had a great baddie, as John says, and it's really, really kept your attention all the way through. Some dodgy bits, but that's just 60 television. Mm. So I'm just going to stick with my five out of five. Wow, amazing, Sucky Lindsay. I think I'm going to give this four out of five. Wow. Strong. Um, comparing it only with TOS, it might be four and a half, but I think like, I'm going to give it four. I think it's good. Like the things that are wrong with it, I think John is right. Are They're, they're wrong with it because six days television nonsense. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Thank you very much. Positive. John. Well, John Lynn's on a four. Nice. I think it's good. Uh, I don't know that there are many better in uh, the original series, but so likewise, if I was, if the context was just TOS, it would get a four and a half. But mm. I've just entirely stolen what like, Lindsay's done, but it is genuinely how I feel. So. Oh, look at us being all seamsy. Fair enough. Andrea, how many lights do you see? I'm going to give it a five because I think there are very few other episodes of TOS that are as good. Um, I think you, you can't hammer it for things that are of its time. It's like picking on a, a silent film because it hasn't got any words. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think it, it's TOS at its best. Um, I, and I think for its time, I think it, it was very much like kind of television moving forward. Um, and it establishes the Romulans um, and lots of other things which have carried right through the show. So uh, I'm going to five. Wow, some strong scores there. I, th- I think I might. I think I might up my score to four and a half. You can. 
but that's okay, fine. I'm gonna put my score to four and a half just based on what Andrea said because she's entirely right. I think strong. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do appreciate what what you guys are saying that you know it's of its time and blah blah. But I, I'm now reviewing things from what is in front of me now and how I feel about them now. Um, and I fucking was bored, very bored. Um, just didn't care for it at all. So I'm gonna give it a one out of five. Um, yeah, context time of year whatever i'm doing it now and i was bored cool anyway enough of what we think let's find out what you think in the listeners feedback feedback. you've heard what we thought let's find out what you think in listeners feedback uh I'm going to start with you, Lindsay, if you could read out the first contribution, please. Of course. So this is from David Kitchen. This is my favourite episode of the original series, Trek, um, and a top five episode of Trek Full Stop. It's brilliantly written, full of great moments and quotable speeches. It's a tense piece of science fiction which introduces a new alien race with their own technology and culture. There is just so much to love here. In a different reality, I could have called you friend. Perfect. Lovely, thank you very much. Uh, Suki. We've got Jack McMurrow and he's put Ballads of Terror. I stand by why I stand by what I said last time. The random episode picker is like this show. Class, but calling the original series problematic is letting it off very easy. Well, not exactly. The story for Balance of Terror is really good. There's a reason why one of the when one of the my my, there's a reason why one, one of my friends asked for five episodes from each show, pre-Disco and Picard, I'll put this on the list. Until you find out, it draws incredibly heavily from the, silent ni- from the 1958 film Run Silent, Run Deep. Some credit goes to director Vincent McVitie and most of the cast. Deep Space Nine's duet is a great episode too, but ruined when you realise it's basically Schindler's List with the, D- the DS9 crew rips off better films and sells stinks of filler to get an episode quota up. Where did the phase of control room go? Don't think it's ever been a thing since. Flew Bottingham at best, but more likely just bullshit. I did like Kirk's quote of you can leave your prejudice in your quarters. There's no room for it on the bridge. Shame William Twatner doesn't keep to that. Overall, good story, but Shatner at his usual unbelievable Unbelievably unbearable, and most of its best points are nicked shamelessly. The sexist depiction, depiction of Kirk randomly just grabbing uh, Yaman Ram to give her support. I never wanted to see anyone kicked in the bollocks so bad. There's <laughs> doubtless, doubtlessly more awful I haven't covered yet, but it, it says something that in my long review of a regular length episode, I can't even manage to state them all without making this podcast a bank holiday uh, weekend long. It's aged like a fine bottle of Dom Perignon, 1954. Unfortunately, the bottle is a plastic fake and the drink is actually piss. <laughs> One shit now out of five with a special Chris Pines, the better James Siberius Kirk by Miles. Mm, yeah. Sorry for the rant. The episode and the original series are just deeply problematic to me. Jack. Cheers, I, I like Jack. you. I like you, Jack. I, I've not actually read them, so that's cool. Andrea. Um, so we've got Joshua Dyball who says the randomizer did us proud. This is a top top episode of Star Trek. Odd seeing Mark Leonard in this role now kind of feels like a mirror episode. What the hell did they build Romulan starships from? See all that rubble falling? Lol. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Joshua. Uh, 
John, I'll come to you next. All right, Shep's Deep Dive says, firstly, let's get a few things off my chest, TOS noises. The perpetual whistle of an invisible kid on a rusty invisible tricycle drives me crazy on the main deck. The moment they see the Romulans and instantly after talking about a possible spy relate to poor Spock, just because. They, just because they share the same blue eye shadow and pink lipstick, all of which I respect. Spock's life choices which draw the attention of his oversized elf ears. Why all side parting of a hair is from left to right. The story is fantastic. One of the best TOS Cold War submarine style tension. And he, go, he, he goes no, on, he goes on to say, that's what he's putting later, uh, which challenges both captains' duties and personal judgments dealing with difficult... Uh, de dealing with difficult crew and Kirk's walking pineapple headlet. <laughs> it makes no sense. Really enjoyed it. Four out of five lights that are always shining on Kirk's face. Like, what's that all about? Uh, thanks, Shep. Um, we got one here from Captain Pikachu. Captain Pikachu? <laughs> That's mint. Um, I'm curious, how did we get viewing cameras into this ship? Uh, into the ship bridge of a species we've never seen and barely interacted with for a hundred years? What sorcery? That's a good point, actually. Uh, random cameras. Um, uh, back to you, Lindsay. It is, an it is answered a bit later on. Oh, is it? Is it? I have a similar question. Oh, they're dead from Dr. Tisha's. It was clearly stated uh, they intercepted a report from the ship. The officer responsible was... Oh, yeah, it's a fair point. Then well answered. Thanks, Dave. Uh, Lindsay, back to you. That's it, isn't it? I've finished it all. Oh, no, uh, there's one, um, more, one more left. One more left. Um, and, uh, so this is from Marcus Squire. Um, an absolutely brilliant episode, one of the best of TOS. Cerebral and thrilling. I love the fact they make both sides of the battle sympathetic. Five troubles out of five. Brilliant, thank you. Andrew's and got Andrea hand has a thing. Yeah, just in reference to Janice's hair, I had a conversation at our destination Star Trek with a lovely lady in TOS cosplay who come as Janice and had used a plastic woven basket to make the hair effect. Amazing. And kind of built it into a style. Um, so it is a thing. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, well, thank you very much for sending us your feedback. It's time to vote for this week's red shirt. I woke up this morning Put on my red shirt Oh Red shirt time Who do you think's been the worst host this episode And when we've got the votes in How will we kill them uh, Andrea I will start with you Who are you voting for I was tempted to vote for Lindsay just because she's completely thrown us by her enjoyment of TOS. It's like, what? I don't know what to do with this. But I'm voting for Bob yeah. because all like week, pretty much, building up to this podcast, it's been like balance of bollocks, balance of shite. And I feel like he's really kind of like, other than like he's one light out of five, he's really wussed out of his critique because we were all so warm, fuzzy and positive. So well, I'm not Do you know what? Bob. I probably have. I could have gone ranty. Um, now... But what what that doesn't do any good for anyone, does it really? Um, we I think, all do when you like something. I know, but I, I think like you know maybe only Jack would like this episode of the podcast because I think people are quite big fans of this. Um, you know, so you know, good luck, good on him. You know, it's their opinion; they love it, and I love that. I love it when people love stuff. I just don't. I think so. For me, I think like if I had watched this on another day I might not have loved it and I think sometimes Bob like if you're just not in the right headspace for it then no. you're not going to enjoy it like I, I totally get that 
I think as well, I, I'm right, I'm, I've, I've got a big problem with Gene Roddenberry and um, how shit he was. Don't be wrong, he, he, he got the idea off the ground of Star Trek, but he nearly fucking ruined it. And he's a, all the stories you hear about him, he's a fucking horrendous person. Um, and he's a terrible writer. Um, I'm not saying ideas, man. Yes, he came up with Star Trek. Um, and, you know, he nearly killed off the show. Um, and if it wasn't for the people that came on board and Roth account and basically kicked him out of the way and made Star Trek loads <coughs> better. Um, and I think that's where another... This is why I probably think I'm, a, I'm not, a, not a fan of the original series as well. I mean, I, I just think it was all right. Maybe I'm being a bit more harsh on it just because of what all the things. What about TNG? Well, yeah, but... He, he was there, but again, he was always put on put out the way. Back burner. He was. They sort of made him feel like he was wanted, particularly on TNG. Um, but it, it, the, the odd people in charge, or yeah, writers who could write and do th certain things. And to be honest with you, TNG comes in its, to its own in season three, where he's not really involved at all. I think uh, you also have to be careful though, because there are problematic creators involved in most iterations of Star Trek. No, 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 like, not, I mean, not, when you get into stuff like when you get Rick Berman and Ronald D. Moore and people like that, you know, they, these guys have gone on to write amazing stuff. Uh, great creators, great, you know, people with actual talent. Whereas he was more of a power fiend and just liked to come in. So I've had managers like him, you know what I mean? They just come in, put a lot of bullshit ideas around, fucking chuck it in the air and walk out. Um, or then get the hard on about something and then want to do this and do that and make everything a bit tits then leave you to it. Um, but how does that stop you liking the original series? Because then? I can see it. I can see Gene Roddenberry in it. The bad, the bad stuff. Because I've done, I've done too much behind the scenes research um, on the Star Trek thing, um, which is maybe not a good thing to do. Um, yeah, that's ruined. That's ruined the whole show for you because if you not the whole just, show, because there's a lot, of, there's a lot of Star Trek in there. You know what I mean? Like there's the, yeah, the, all the, the original series. The original yeah. series has been ruined for you. Yeah. But even though they they are absolutely brilliant episodes, and as you can see, four of us all think this episode is really yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. And you've only you're only coming to this with this Gene Roddenberry flipping bias against but it. I, do, I, think right, now, I, think just... now, I think now I can't appreciate things of the time as well. Apart from Doctor Who, I was brought up on Doctor Who from four year old, you know what I mean? And I've got like a very much a pink cloud or, you know, whatever vision when I'm watching Doctor Who, whereas Star Trek, I don't have that. Um, so so here's a question, and it's, it's, an, it's, like, it's a genuine question. Do you, are you able to rewatch Doctor Who yeah. with a critical eye? Uh, I just like, are you like, well, no, are you able to see the things that are wrong with Do like isn't Doctor Who yeah. perhaps not quite so bad for a Star Trek, but it still has its moments of like well, no, but utter I just, nonsense. I, no, it does. But with Doctor Who, it just some it got me through a lot of things as a child. You know what I mean? Like it was my escape from any bad things that were going on, and probably continues to be to a degree. Like Doctor Who is just something that I has been has been there for me. And that sounds a bit strange, but it has. Whereas Star Trek hasn't. Star Trek was an after, after, after Doctor Who sort of thing. Um, I don't know. I just, I just, I, I, you know, the same applies to all films and things like that. Unless they're absolutely mint, I struggle again. You know, that's what you're saying is beautiful, Bob, and and you're great for saying it. But you're still being voted to redshirt by Andrew. 
Oh yeah, forgot about that. Yeah, thanks, Andrea. That's what I got distracted. Yeah, I feel like this is like it, it's just part of the company, and really for everyone, like revenge vote for me. But like, I'm ready to die. It's cool. Okay. Well, Andrea, I'm voting for you. <laughs> <laughs> just because I've never done it before. I've never been brave enough, Andrea. But I'm feeling brave tonight. You're gonna get my red shirt for. Uh, vote for me. It's going to be petty this week. I'm going to petty it up and vote for you for that reason. Suki, who's your red shirt this week? Well, this time. I am going to do exactly, uh, exactly uh, the same, really. Right. All week, as as I've been saying, you've just been saying all these little comments and uh, and putting these little notes things out, and I think he's not liking this episode. So, and I got. I got roasted by a couple of you last week, as last time as well, for uh, picking on somebody for not having their vote because uh, I didn't like the episode. And I thought, okay, this time I'm going to do the same as as well. So it is going to be you, Bob, because right. you just didn't like this episode. Fair enough. I know you've tried to explain it, but no, uh, it's fine. No. It's okay, it's fine. I'm happy with the the vote. Thank you very much indeed for taking the time to vote for me, Lindsay. <laughs> Um, I'm also going to vote for you, Bob. Um, <laughs> I, uh, just because you were such a such a uh, your 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 affect when you introduced us at the start was not very thrilling, um, and you you didn't really set the tone for a, a lively. It, and... To be honest, it was because I had to do it four times because of technical issues, and by the time we t- actually going to go out, no, that was a fourth attempt. No, first no. one was exactly the same. Straight, straight from the yeah. beginning. Yeah, continuity, John. Continuity. Um, low energy Bob, that's what we're getting. Yeah, that's the term, low energy right, Bob. Apologies. And um, he doesn't inspire enthusiasm or uh, general comedy. <laughs> we, we um, expect we get too much of a good thing a lot of the time. We should we should temper our I was just trying to be more reserved, more chilled out, more zen like, but I'll go back to be my uh, high energy presenting best. It's, it's one like... art zero, isn't it? Bye, yeah, all, or nothing, all or nothing, John, you know what I mean? I was about to say, yeah. someone in the middle. There is a beautiful yeah. ground whereby there is intonation and interest. I've yet, yet, you know. yet to find that middle ground, Mitzi. There's so no grey bob. That's fair enough. So I've got three votes now, John. Uh, I, uh, you know, strictly speaking, I, I wanted to vote for you <laughs> for your A, the exact same reason uh, as the other people. You're low energy bob star and you're one out of five and you admitted that you couldn't be asked to watch it. Well, uh, and But... You explained those things, and I'm in a in a giving way, and Andrew's oh. got a hand up because he's volunteering. <laughs> My choice as red shirt. So it's three two, but at least oh, you get some votes against She's near, isn't she, for the first time? Near. She's near. Yeah. Next week, I reckon. Next we'll, time. We'll get Andrea next time. We've never got you, Andrea, as a red shirt. I don't, you get away with it every time, Andrea. Can I, can I just add, for not knowing the name of the cage, <laughs> there's an extra reason. Oh, yeah. Yes! I remained I remain silent during that, and I forgot to mention it, because I'm thinking, mm, I'm storing that up for later, and then I what, forgot. What did I do? What did, was it me? Did you, some, you were trying to yeah. convince us there was an episode before the cage. Yeah, I know. Um, it was in my head at the time, and it was not real. <laughs> so... <laughs> Because um, there's only ever factually correct information here on this podcast. We've never, yeah. we've never before made a mistake. It was sweet in my head that just had this thing. All, all, all new fucking storyline for Vulcans. Um, cool. Uh, well, thank you. I am the red shirt. Andrea, go on. Killers. Um, I think you're going to be buried under like 50 tons of Romulan space rubble. 
with William Shatner and Gene Roddenberry. I must admit, are you going to get an anti-red shirt, Andrew, because you keep using what I love, the word space in front of stuff. Like space, it's really you've space it. yeah, you've done it a few times now. I like it. I like it. Uh, lovely. So I'm buried under space rubble. It's time to find out what we're going to watch next time. Uh, we're going to go over to John to get the uh, randomizer out and start pressing some buttons um, to randomly pick and generate what we're going to be watching for the um, reviewing in our next episode. Please don't be the original <laughs> series, John. Right. Uh, thanks for that uh, upbeat introduction. Um, I think what I'm going to do now. Then I'm going to press the button and you're going to get... You just tell me when to go. Go. TNG. Season 1, Episode 10, Hide and Q. Come on! I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that. Uh, lovely. It means I can get my, my Blu-rays yeah. out again. Lovely. Uh, that's cool then. Hide and cue uh, from TNG. I'm going I'm to watch that from a white clean surface. <laughs> <laughs> bring, it, bring us a mop and bucket. Uh, right. And, and a caution wet floor sign. I always think of health and safety. People always think of health and safety. Uh, well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, the next time we'll be re- reviewing uh, that one that John just said. <laughs> so until then, it's goodbye. Bye. The recording has stopped.